to In The Move Podcast. This is episode 97. I'm Callum Reid of ultimateaddict.com. I'm a very snoozy Peter Shepard of In The Move blog at blog.co.uk. And let's get straight on to business this week. <laughs> yes. It's like every month, or so, like once every month, you're kind of in this snoozy place. Because mm. you are very busy, generally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Having bank holiday Monday off doesn't help because then you just go back to work and then it's just everybody just like wants a pillow. Mm. And being the Pied Piper doesn't help either. No. <laughs> Leading the children uh, astray with music. <laughs> um, okay, so this week, just want to quickly mention um, Joy for Sunderland and their great escape. This is football for anyone who's mm. um, just tuned in for the films. <laughs> Mm. It's not uh, Ridley Scott isn't getting an honorary Oscar. The what? <laughs> Joy for Sunderland. Oh, right. Ridley Scott's not getting an honorary Oscar. <laughs> South Shields, yeah. Mm. FTW. <laughs> no, never go there. <laughs> never again. <laughs> um, other sporting news. Very sad sporting news. Yeah. Um, about Elena Baltacher. Mm. Which I did, like, I just heard the other week that she was not very well. Yeah, I knew she'd been diagnosed with cancer, like, just after she retired, which is just ridiculous. I mean, there have been quite a few tennis players who've been diagnosed with cancer recently. Um, was Ross Hutchins one of the British guys? Was. Yeah. Mm. And, um, uh, oh, a name will come to me. One of the Russian girls as well. Um, Alyssa Kalebanova. Um, but usually when they're young, they get over it, but that's because it's usually non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But this was liver cancer, so it's... Uh, so, and she, Baltasha already had a liver disease for yeah. over a decade. Basically plagued her, her, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's a shame. Mm. Um, a big high-profile death in the film world as well, last week. Bob Hoskins. Oh, God, of course, yes. Yeah, uh, Mona Lisa, biggest Oscar snub. Of the eighties, maybe. Are we are we talking snubbers in? He was Literal expected snub. to win, or no, well, no, he not have won. not even expected to win. Just when you look back at the precursors, it looks really bad in retrospect. I'm sure because um, uh, Newman was that overdue. They expected him to win, but still, when you look back on it and think, "Hang on, he won that, 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 that," and then no, it it looks kind of crazy. Yeah, because it's not even getting nominated; it's winning. <laughs> A lot, pretty much. I think what did he enjoy? There's just like the MBR that he didn't win, and or was it the Globe? One of just like there's like one pre major precursor he didn't get. I think he did. He not win the Globe. It's, I think there's just literally just one of yeah. what it, like maybe New York or I think New York would have given it to him. L- literally one that he didn't win. Of course, that, that Oscar uh, announcement, like known for the Betty Davis. Basically messing everything up. <laughs> that they had to cut a microphone during the announcement of the uh, best actor Oscar. God. Because she just wasn't with it. <laughs> but yeah, Bob Hoskins. The 80s was such a train wreck for the actual telecast. <laughs> um, Bob, well, I, I like him in Hook a mm. lot. Um, obviously, Roger Rabbit is a great one. Yeah. Um, this is a really 
could, he could be equally extremely not. He could either be an extremely nice presence or extremely menacing screen presence, and uh, it's rare that you get both. Someone with the ability to have such a strong connection on both. Yeah, and in the same film, even in Mona Lisa. Mm. Mm. Um. Okay, we do have some happy news this week. Do we? <laughs> no, not for you. <laughs> Is Messi joining Chelsea? <laughs> That'll be the day. Um, no. There's been a sequel announced to a film from last year. Do you want to have a guess? Oh, God. A film from last year that uh, needs a sequel. Well, uh, I say needs. I mean... <laughs> has a sequel. It was a very colourful film with a lot of female nudity. Oh, God. There is the not is the slightly uh, slightly less warmest colour. <laughs> no, magenta is the is the warmest colour. <laughs> no, it's not blue's warmest colour. <laughs> <laughs> it's Spring Breakers. Of oh, course. So Selena Gomez may return for Spring Breakers, although um, Irvin Welsh is going to write it. What's the sequel going to be? Going home for Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's going to be way less exciting, surely. Yeah, we've seen The Family Stone, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, great film that was. <laughs> El Super Classico. <laughs> but yeah, a bit random for all the films to get a sequel. Mm. Um, okay, that's all for news. Although I wanted to mention, just just wanted to pimp this book, really, that I'm reading, that I just got recently, like, mm. um, while Can is about to start. Basically, it's from this guy called William Goldman. Do you know who that is? Or um, yes. Um, did he, is he the guy who wrote um, Heart of Darkness? He might be. Um, Apocalypse Now guy. Yeah, Apocalypse Now, I think he did. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and basically in 1988, he was asked to be on the jury of the Cannes Film Festival. And... He was on the jury for the Miss America contest in the same year. <laughs> so he's, he's wrote a book called Hype and Glory, which mm. is basically comparing those two experiences <laughs> and um, just talking about the ridiculousness of it all. Mm. So I've just started reading it and it's actually quite funny. So I just wanted to pimp that because it's quite strange, like the fact that he was on both of those. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Zlatan Ibrahimovic's autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds hilarious. Okay, yeah, he wrote The Princess Bride as well. And he was talking about how Robin Wright was just the most stunning person and perfect choice for the role. A bridge too far, he wrote. He he should should go to dinner with Jodie Foster and just wax lyrical. Yeah. (laughs) Marathon Man, All the President's Men. Right. Butch Cassidy. Why on earth would they ask him to be on the Canfield Festival jury then? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright, we have a listener question this week. Oh, God. This is from Ibby. Right. <laughs> and he wants to know our thoughts on Clean um, and specifically Maggie Chung in Clean. I don't know if we've mentioned this before on the podcast, have we? No, I'm too busy um, uh, whining uh, about them giving the uh, Best Actor Award at Cannes to <laughs> the lad from Nobody Knows that year, rather than um, 
because they gave her uh, Maggie uh, the win for clean that year. Yeah. And I think... Just so they could have given Nolte, you say, no. Mm. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just... Um, I, I never really bring it up because I'm too busy ragging on the best actor choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, this is why... I mean, with film festivals, it's not as if they're devoid of politics. Uh, because if you take, like, Tony Lung, yeah, he won Can for In the Move for Love when he lost it, just after he lost it, when he was the favourite for Happy Together. And uh, yeah. Maggie didn't win it for In the Mood for Love. And then <laughs> next time she's in the serious film at the Cannes Can Film Festival, she wins. Yeah. It's usually, though, when you get, like, the proper legends of the screen, generally they've all won one of these. Mm. But you couldn't really say which one they've won for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's I like remember... Marlon Brando won for Viva Zapata. Yeah, you know, which is—I mean, he's fine in it, but it's—it's it's, it's just a bit of a I random rem- one. I remember looking this up, and uh, the man that had won every single uh, major—when I say the major European festivals, I mean but Ver- Berlin, Venice, and Cannes—Jack uh, Lemon was one, and I think, don't quote me, Sean Penn is the other, because I remember thinking it's won all three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he won Cannes for She's So Lovely, beating Tony Lung. I'm pretty sure he also won it, one of them for Hurley, but I think he won Can twice, actually. I think he won it for Hurley Burley, if memory serves. And then uh, it might have been a... Dead Man Walking Mystic River type thing. Mm. The other two, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm uh, for the women, I think... I mean, The reason I looked this up was I think Binoche was the only woman when she won Can for Certified Copy. Uh, that was the final piece in the puzzle. She was the only woman who's done it. Wow, I'm pretty sure it was three colours blue. Venice. Would have been would have been Venice, mm. yes. And then I'm guessing Berlin would have been red balloon. No, <laughs> I really don't. I really can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, could even be something like um, uh, what's the unbearable lightness of being? Could be anything. <laughs> okay. Mm. But yeah, I mean that's quite an achievement. Oh yeah, I mean the, the thing that this is—it all stems from me thinking that Sean Penn's the most overrated, uh, overpraised, over-decorated actor of his generation. Even though I, I really like him, I think he's Milk. amazing in about two, in about two or three. Yeah, Milk, um, Dead Man Walking. The, 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 the two won the Oscar for and the Thin Red Line really for me, and he's he's excellent in 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 that too. But outside of that, I really don't really care for him at all as an actor. Out of those like outside of those four. Performances. Anyway, sorry, Abby. Um, Binoche Maggie won, Chung. Binoche won Best Actress for the English Patient at oh, Berlin. Okay. So that was an after-the-fact job. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, Chung in Clean is fantastic, um, yes. obviously. Yeah. Clean as a film is um, extraordinarily well-made. Um, uh, Olivia Sayers just has the it's just it's sort of a, a modern... Um, uh, clean, uh, pardon, pardon, clean cinematography. Yeah, it's all lots of blues and um, uh, greys and what have you. Uh, but uh, Chung is just, um, she's absolutely stunning. Uh, I remember thinking how, like, international it felt. Like it didn't feel specific to any particular nation. Like Maggie was speaking in English, but wasn't mm. it set in? Was it set in Canada? Some of it or was there some kind of Canadian link somewhere. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like a really realistic portrayal of addiction. 
Yeah, it's um, it's the gold standard for me. Um, because I'm I'm not really keen on most of the dr- uh, druggy films like your Half Nelsons or your um, Sherry, Sherry Baby. Babies as film as films, or even something like um, what was uh, Smashed? Yeah. Um, I always fi- I I always find them quite trite and um, uh, very clunky in their plotting. And, but with this, I think. Um, oh, we missed a uh, flight. <laughs> what was that? Oh, funny. <laughs> but with it, with this, it's just um, it's it it's the dub- It's not just a performance piece because it's so well made. Yeah. Whereas, whereas I think the others are really just performance front and centre and re- rely so heavily on that to carry it through whereas this is a piece of filmmaking on top of it mm-hmm. agreed mm. okay alright should we get into preconceptions oh, uh, yeah. oh wait hold on are we doing red light first <laughs> we can if you want <laughs> Yeah. okay we're going to quickly do some red light districts we haven't done in a while just mm. pimping some things that we've either seen for the first time or rewatched that are from well another year Pardon this mm. One. Mm. So, um, do you want to start us off? Um, just a re retake on to the wonder. Really, mm. I watched it again because I bought it when I was in uh, Canada, and it was cheap. And um, I just had a completely different reaction to it this time around. Maybe because I knew because the first time around, I think we both I, I've had a listen to the podcast when we did it. We agreed and a I, lot. Yeah, and I read my review of it again just to see what I was thinking about because my my sort of main focus at the time was that um, he tried to cut Ben Affleck out of the film. Yeah, and I thought it really weakened the film, and um, uh, I think he thought it weakened their romance, and because because I was thinking of it in t- thinking of the film in terms of um, it as a romantic drama, whereas now I don't think of it as a romantic drama at all. <laughs> uh, because I, I think the whole Javier Bardem thing, which was felt really kind of tacked on and yeah, um, did, yeah. unimportant the first time around, I actually think having seen it again, that's the whole point of the film. To the degree that um, I actually think that the main storyline between Olga and Ben isn't merely an allegory for the uh, themes that uh, happen in, in Bardem's little sub... Uh, what, what seems like a subplot of the film. Because Bardem's having his crisis of faith yeah, uh, throughout it. And... Um, what it what um it's all and he's he's all about the absence of God and how he hasn't and, and how he, he he can't feel the presence anymore blah, blah 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 and that is all this stuff I I thought initially that was just there to underscore what's going on with um, Olga mm. but really I think it's the other way around now because everything that happens by cutting Affleck out of the film or or refusing to show his face as much as possible by stripping his voice away uh, so that um uh. It's, it's it seems to me now very clear that um because Malik is a religious um filmmaker there's no getting around that um I think uh, when you have her them talking about why in terms of love and they do it in, they, they use it in terms of a love affair but why why are we reached up to the heavens and then and then and then and why do we have to come back down uh, and all all this sort of thing and it sort of stems back into uh, Bardem when he, when he's saying. Uh, when, when you have the initial contact and you, and you feel God's presence so much, and then and then what do you do when when you ha- when you're just left with the empty with the loneliness? And I think what really underscores it for me is what happens with Ben at the end, because with, with Olga, um, with the uh, scene in the motel where it felt really out of the blue for me with what Olga's character would do. But I think what w- uh, it's more of a metaphor for for the re- religious side of it, where. Uh, 
if you've got like a, the, the loss of faith, the, if you think in terms of faithlessness, yeah, <laughs> then and then Ben's reaction to it, um, I think is very much just the the cutting adrift and um, the, just the sadness that it's come to that and uh, it's it's not it's not necessarily callous and there's still a lot of love there, but it's just that, I'm sorry, this is how it's got to be. But I think I think that speaks more to the metaphysical side of things than the. Uh, and the theological side of things. That's really and it, and it interesting, ma- actually. It makes more sense to me, because it felt really jarring in terms of the characterisation the first time around. I think, well, why would she do that? Yeah. Uh, and why is he acting like this, and, what, and blah, blah, blah. When I think about it in those terms, like, it, the, the Bardem thing is key, but and is, it just sits a lot, a lot better with me. Is it... Do you think it's, like, a fact that they don't show Affleck's face because Bardem's putting himself in that position? Like... Imagining how it would be to have a life and have a romance and be out of the faith, and um, the pros and cons of that, maybe. Or? I think it's. I think it's done to. I think it's done to. So basically, uh, you, it's dealing with like very very crudely. The way that I'm taking it is Affleck as God and Olga as Bardem. Oh. Or, or, or you see what I mean. <laughs> that's how that's how I'm that's how I'm viewing it. So when he so he, they have the initial co- the initial contact where she's it, where she feels his presence so keenly, and then as the relationship goes on, uh, she comes back down from the initial high, and then she can't find him. She feels it, the, the 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 distance increases, the sil- uh, the she's not the communication decreases. Blah 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 blah, and that's and then with where it goes with with the relationship as shown. It just it just makes sense better if I view it allegorically, allegorically, allegorically. <laughs> <laughs> easy for me to say with um, uh, the whole Bardem loss of faith, blah 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 blah, Bergman esque um, absence of God. So does this make thing. it better for you then? It just sits easier. The plotting sits easier with me if I take it that way. It's less problematic. But what about the quality of it? Does that mean the quality increases? A little bit. It's still a four-star film for me, but it's more on the eight out of ten side than the seven out of ten side. Okay. And um, I realise it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> well, but, I don't know because I, I mean, I, I had the same opinion as you the first time, so I can't really mm, comment mm, on it again. But I would like to see it again, actually. Mm. And of course, because the final, when the also when like the, when their their meeting place is in some cloister, or or not their meeting place, but. The, the the high point of their intimacy at the beginning is in some cloisters at a church. Yeah, going up going up the um, uh, steps to the wonder, in some <laughs> and then that is the final shot of the film. That that, that is like it's very Garden of Eden esque. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's in, that's interesting. Mm, I thought you might I thought you might like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the metaphysics. Yes. Uh, it's the Kieslowski fanboy in me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mine. Very big departure. I watched a film called Into the Night uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. which is John Landis' film from okay. 1985. Mm-hmm. And it's got Jeff Goldblum in it and a very, very young Michelle Pfeiffer. Ah. Um, a very foxy Michelle Pfeiffer. I was going to say, this would make you think that I might have watched this one. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And you're a bit of an <laughs> 80s kid at heart. <laughs> um, with your Ghostbusters and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, Twins. It, yeah. With, yeah. 
Emmanuel Sainier. <laughs> God. Fishnets, fishnets, fishnets. So yeah, I mean, it's not a great film. It's kind of like a, a, an action comedy thriller where Jeff Goldblum gets gr- drawn into this um, situation with Michelle Pfeiffer where she's in trouble because she's got these emeralds that bad guys want. So it's a very kind of generic plot and it's all right, mm. but um, quite memorable for its use of music. <laughs> yeah. It's like 80s music was so bad, like film scores. Yeah. Of like popular films, I just think it's just even bad. even the good versions of it are still pretty cheesy, like Beverly Hills Cop or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's these weird jazz riffs going on. <laughs> well, I'll just interrupt. I I uh, I also rewatched um, Safety Not Guaranteed and uh, didn't detest the end as much as I did the first time. Okay. Mm. So another li- mini improvement. Still, um, feels like a bit of a cop out, though. It did the first time, but I, I, because I knew it was coming, I sort of like uh, minded it less the second time around. Yeah. Um, What's the guy's name? Jake Johnson. Oh, the guy from Drinking Buddies. Yeah, like he's the best thing about the film in retrospect. I do like his. I did like his romance with that woman. I thought that was really well played out. Yeah, and how. She wins him round with pies. Yeah. It's like Labour Day. <laughs> oh, God. Um, one more film. This is called The Search for Bridie Murphy, um, which I just want to warn everybody off. From, <laughs> from 1956. I mean, yeah, because there's so many people who are just like queuing up to watch it. Yeah, that. there's like two people have reviewed it on Letterboxd. Um, but it's like... It's Theresa Wright in 1956, which I thought was just a bit weird. That is weird. Because I've only seen in the 40s. Um, How old was she then? Like mid-30s? Maybe late 30s? Mm. Um, but she's she's not bad in it. But it's just about this... Um, she plays a woman who gets... You know when they regress you to your former life? Mm. And... Um, which is yeah, actually, it's happening right now at Chelsea. Which is... <laughs> Which is actually, it is a, it is actually a thing that people believe in. Um, mm. But I think this was actually quite n- novel for the time. Yeah. To bring this into um, the public eye, mm. but it's just the way it goes about things. It sort of already presumes. I don't know. It's like it believes in reincarnation, and it's got really limited solutions to things. It's, so it's a bit of a shame, but. Um, it's, I don't know, it's okay, but I just think it's pretty mediocre. It's not as good as its poster. You know when you get these <laughs> films from the past and you watch them for the poster? Thank you, Irini. <laughs> <laughs> what was that one she said had great posters? Uh, oh, it was something from Cannes, wasn't it? So it seems you're talking about, I, I'll actually pimp something that's actually good then, or I think is good, because um, you just mentioned the whole regressing into a past life thing. Yeah. It's reminding me of two films which sort of do similar things, um, and the one's much better than the other, but I'll pimp them both, because I just thought the other one, as I was saying that sentence. First one, Youth Without Youth, a mm. uh, couple of film from, was it 2007? Sounds right. Um, Alexandra Murray Lara and um, uh, Tim Roth, and... Uh, 
It's uh, I think this one got a bit of a bad rap, uh, rep at the time. It, I think it's just a very interesting film, and uh, very well acted from from the two main people. The one that is uh, I think is uh, a deal better, and one of my favourite films of the uh, 2000s actually is a film called Chaotic Anna, mm. which is by a guy a director called Julio Maden. He did um, uh, Sex and Lucia. He also did um, The Red Squirrel, which is one of the first foreign language films that I uh, remember seeing and just finding interesting for reasons more than like nudity when I was about 14 or 15 years old. Unlike, <laughs> unlike Sex and Lucia. Yeah. Well, yeah. God. Oh my God, what a Watson fest that would have been. Um, <laughs> and, but no, Chaos Gala is really interesting. I saw this at um, a Spanish film festival um, about um, six or seven years ago. And uh, it is online. I, I believe it's online now. And uh, it's sort of it's uh, about a, a woman, a young girl who gets taken in by Charlotte Rampling, who is a patron of the arts. She lives in a cave in Ibiza, and she's an artist. What? And just, she, yeah, seriously, it's, it's a crazy film. Charlotte Rampling takes her into this um, uh, like institute, uh, artistic institute, uh, to like help her like grow her talent. Is this a prequel and to Ayana? <laughs> funny one end um and uh so basic the basic plot is that uh, she uh has a as a uh, uh and becomes increasingly aware that she's um uh had past lives and um uh this uh, uh lad starts some uh taking her through them through hypnosis and whole film is structured around like a count back so it, like, they'll have title cards every like 10 minutes saying 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 etc etc and um the end, the very like, the very end is either you either go with it or you don't. It's a, it's like a literal metaphor being mm. shown on screen, which is hard, not very subtle at all. It's very uh, anti-American. If if that bothers uh, any of our listeners, it certainly didn't bother me. Um, <laughs> but um, just one of those ones that um, it's just you don't see films like it, and uh, very well acted and expertly made. If Completely off the wall. Cool. Mm. Okay. Um. So preconceptions. Mm. Uh. This week we're doing uh. Blue ruin. Blue ruin. What's the pronunciation? Well, we're going. Uh. One. Oh God. Blue ruin honor. Tracks and the binoche is a thousand. Kisses. Good night. Thousand. Oh God, that's terrible, isn't it? Is that what it's called? I've got. No, hold on, I've got it written down. A thousand times. Good night. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, Although we're so doing that one first, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, preconceptions for the Binoche? Obviously, Binoche is really great. And mm. pretty much everything. Except Chocolat. <laughs> 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 the York for the win. <laughs> um, no. Um, Lena Andre. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, gra- she's great in everything. And... Um, it's like, I didn't know anything about the plot, really. I just knew she was playing a war photographer, and that, that's all I had impression of. Didn't know mm. who the director was, um, mm. so I was kind of going into it with goodwill because it was her. Yeah, now, Binoche can do films that are absolutely terrible. Um, the Flight of the Red Balloon, let's go back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Elle was just terrible. I mean, I, even when she's good in films, she 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 can't necessarily save them because they're that horrendous. But uh, 
So her being in it is a sign of quality in that you know she's going to be good, but it's not necessarily a sign of quality in that you know the project's going to be worthy of her talents. Yeah. But usually, um, I, I, I like the films that she's in. Okay. Um, Blue Ruin, this is the... I mean, I knew it was a revenge thriller, and I knew that yeah. it had good reviews, which is why right. I wanted to see it. Okay. And that's, that's all I've got. Right. Um, honor for oh sorry yeah honor yeah. honor for me I knew Paddy it was Paddy Constantine and I knew it was a film about an honor killing uh, where he's hired to do something to do with an honor killing I wasn't really sure about the specifics of the plot didn't know who directed it didn't know anyone else who was in it just watched it because it was on okay um, tracks did you see this again or not no okay I remember it well enough well tracks. Obviously, I had the preconception that you liked it, mm-hmm. and Arini liked it. Mm. Everybody who saw it, Venice liked it. People about, in general uh, to like about this to about the same level in that they're sort of pretty good. Yeah, and Mia Vazakowska is a plus. Um, mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not hugely, not excessively, yeah. not excessively. <laughs> yeah, and so she certainly can't make films in the sense that I mean, Stalker, she couldn't really do much with that. Mm. But, um, so yeah, I, w- I didn't know anything about the woman at the centre of the story, or anything mm. about the story, actually. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. So, A Thousand Times Good Night. Right. Do you want to do this? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's about uh, a thousand times. Good night begins with Binoche following and photographing a woman who it, it, initially it's made to look as if she's uh, dead and is having a funeral. Turns out that she is about to uh, commit a suicide bombing. Uh, we are, I'm assuming, somewhere in Israel slash Palestine. Mm. And um, so she gets in the car along with her and um, uh, risks and. Uh, goes all the way up until it's about to happen and then of course some kids turn up and she's like no bomb bomb and then it explodes right in her face um so cut to uh the hospital shortly uh, afterwards her husband has come over to take her home and when he, when she gets home it becomes clear that it this has become the tipping point in their relationship and he he wants to end it because he can't take it anymore and she agrees that she needs to stop Mm-hmm. For the good of her family. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm going to get it out of the way that I like this film. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. I want to mention the criticism that I've heard of it and mm-hmm. whether you agree or we agree. Anyway, the criticism I've heard is that basically it's flaunting all of these atrocities that are going on in Africa and how terrible they are. And yet the main point of the narrative is that a middle-class white woman isn't getting on with her husband. Is that fair? Um, is that cynical? I think you can use backdrops like that um, to underscore a personal story if you're not just skating over it and not making a point about it. And I do think in this film, they are making very much trying to make a point about what's going on and that it isn't successful and trying to draw some attention to it. 
So I wouldn't say this is pretentious uh, because it's it's exploiting uh, what's going on. It's not I, being I, I, black and white about anything either. No, I would think it. I would think it's. It, I I think it's more like her. I think it mirrors the, the character's uh, motivation that she's trying to bring. The character's trying to bring attention to these issues, which are just being ignored. Mm. Mm. So I think the film, uh, in its own way, mirrors that. So I would not go along with criticizing it for doing that. Okay, I agree with you. Actually, I do mm. think that's cynical, a cynical way of looking at it, mm. because I think the film. Well, I don't think the film is that cynical. Let's put it that way. Mm. Because I, I don't, I think the film does well at creating a real dilemma for her. Not in terms of, I mean, I do think the family guilt trip her too much <laughs> near the beginning, but I like that she has to think about it and that everybody is generally forced to think about it from her perspective as well. Mm. And that it's not it could this could have just escalated into complete melodrama, mm. but it, I mean, it threatens to, but I don't think it really loses sense of her and what she really feels at the heart of things, and that she can't really turn off. Mm. Um, but I don't know how much is that that of that is to do with Benash or not. Mm. I think, in terms of. It's it's pretty obvious in general after about halfway through. As soon as like Kenya. the doors, as soon as the daughter starts asking about whether it's safe, and you think, oh, she's worried about her mum, and as soon as you actually hear why she's asking it, if it's safe, i.e., she wants to go. Yeah, you can kind of because this is where I had to stop watching it for just time re- time issues. Mm. Um, you can see where it's going, and so then I sort of like had a quick look to the end, and it was going. It didn't go. It, it went exactly where I thought it was going to go. Yeah. Um. So, but uh, I do think it's well made. It's and, very well shot. Yeah, and um, interesting in terms of the link uh, linking between uh, the different scenes and uh, what have you with with all that. So very well put together, um, well acted, but I'm just not. Sh- I don't. I, th- I can see why you m- might be tempted to criticise it because the content feels slight or maybe underdeveloped in terms of that that central that central yeah yeah that central um, uh, conflict. I think what Fif- I think I was thinking when the husband flips out at a certain mm. point. I was thinking this is too much, mm. and he wouldn't do this. But then, I don't know, I think it won me round with the presentation. Mm. I thought that was really... And I thought the daughter was really good, the eldest daughter. The younger mm. one, however. Yeah. <laughs> but not the eldest daughter, I just thought she was tremendous like, at certain points of this. Um, I'm not sure if she's, she would be as evolved as the script wants her to be at times. Like, in certain times, she seems a lot more adult than you mm. would expect her to be, because she's only, like, 15. Mm. Like, when she says to Benosh, um, was it worth it? I hope it was yeah. worth it. And thinking, well, you know, it was. A, it's a bit of a passive-aggressive way of getting your point across, and I just don't think 
fifteen-year-old would use that. Especially when you've had in, um, uh, uh, it would be easier if you were dead. <laughs> that's more. That's more on uh, yeah. on point. Yeah. In terms of the immaturity and um, lack of subtlety. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you think of Banash in general? In general, she doesn't have a tremendous amount to do. Mm. Uh, but when she d- when, but she does what she has to when she has to very well and um, I think she's um, it's a very contained restrained performance and uh, she can do those um, I prefer her when she's just more uh, just na- natural yeah well well, I prefer her when she's just more alive and um, and natural yeah Whereas, I think this is this is more uh, of a fixed arc on the page for her she maybe she it's has more internal been, yeah yeah, but I, I thought she was really good at times, especially mm. with that scene in the car. Mm. She was really good then. And, uh, I, I that whole photograph thing was actually quite, I not quite jarring. Mm. Um, just because it came from like real aggression, and she wasn't expecting it, and just felt mm. like a, a good way of getting the point across without saying anything. Yeah. It's also speaking her language. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which might be the only way she was trying to get through to her, you know, thought mm. she could get through to her. Because she, she does that when there's tragedy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and and desperation and helplessness. Mm. <laughs> um, the end, the last scene is, like, it goes back to the suicide bombing situation. Right. And it's um, it's quite devastating, but it's sort of like, and it feels like Ansandi felt, but not as manipulative. Shouldn't be hard. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's one of these endings where somebody could just suddenly storm out at a film festival. It's one of those kind of things of, it's mm. going back to the seriousness, this is pretentious, this is, you know... Well, maybe so like because cir- circles goes back to the um, uh, uh, thing that started it all off. Yeah. As well. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I thought it was really quite well made for the most part, and it had some real issues going on, and I, I kind of liked that. But mm. it's more. I mean, it's maybe it's a bit more domestic than I'd like. Maybe I'd like more abroad and. Of her in the act, in action, etc. Mm. Go for this then. B. All right. Uh, six out of ten, but I haven't seen it all, so could could go up if I saw more of it. Okay. All right, Blue Ruin. Um, this is about a guy um who whose life's turned upside down when he returns to his childhood home to carry out an act of vengeance. Basically, his parents have been killed in the past um, and he damn that Asghar Farhadi <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm in one of those moods it's the woman in the coma <laughs> um, his, um, his parents have been killed and somebody went to prison for it they've come out and he wants to enact revenge on them 
So it's quite, mm, it's quite heavy, mm. but it's very obviously influenced by the Coens, right? Particularly Blood Simple, mm. but mm. also No Country, right? Okay, but more Blood Simple because it's a tiny budget and it's ragged and there's lots More style. It's lots of handheld and it's yeah. More kinetic. Yeah, exactly. And it's directed by a former cinematographer. So you can kind of tell that but there's a lot of attention to detail with the framing and things like that. Mm. It feels quite um and it feels quite like a first time filmmaker. Not in a mm. bad way, it just does. Yeah. And this is Jeremy Saulnier. But it's I mean it's got it's the story's fine. I don't really want to criticize the lead guy, but he's not got a great presence. Mm-hmm. And I've got a problem with the identity of his character being unclear. There isn't much to ground you in like his perspective apart from the severity of the plot. Like there isn't I'm not getting anything from the character that makes me, you know, consider what he's been doing for the past few years and, you know, the kind of life he lives. It's just not enough information about that. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's a good thriller. It's, it's more situation-based than fleshing out the character. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's all about the journey of the revenge um, the character has a sister, but she's in it for 10 minutes. Um, and then the rest you just find out from conversations he has with them, the guys that he's trying to, you know, are pausing. And, um, and it's just very, it's sort of like he's at the end of his tether and it's like this eye for an eye mentality, which really comes through quite strongly. But, and it's really visceral as well with the impact of the action and um, with the violence. It just, it does feel real on that level. But the problem is that it sort of like introduces this issue. Something severe happens quite early on. And then for a long, long time, nothing really happens until the end. Mm. So in the middle, it's all kind of sprawling and he's running around places. He's kind of on the run and... You don't really know where you are. You don't. It's. It feels a little bit frenetic, um, and I kind of lost interest in it in the middle third. But I did. I did think I'm going to give it credit because it did. It does have that visceral impact, and it is quite low budget. And I don't think it's easy to achieve that with a low budget. Mm. So I think if it was somebody who would had a you know, a lot of money to spend on it and couldn't really figure out um, a way to be dramatically interesting in the middle of the film, it would, I would think less of it. But I think Mm. with this, he has other aims and he has limitations. So I kind of going to give it goodwill. Brownie points. Brownie points. So it's a B minus for Blue Ruin. And people who are less picky than me and like indie cinema of this type um, more, you'd probably really like this. Okay. But I liked Blood Simple a lot. I just thought Blood Simple had more going for it acting-wise 
um, and a really kind of twisty plot going on in the middle of it, whereas this kind of linear and a bit underwhelming at times. Hmm. So, yeah. mm. so honor. honor. Right. Honor. Honor begins with as the uh, plot run down, as the plot sort of like run down and title would suggest begins with a uh, a woman and her son murdering uh, a member of their family uh, by garroting her uh, because by um, what garroting her what's that it's when you know the mafia when they do the wire the, the wire on the neck oh okay yeah that's how they choose to offer and after a, a rather a frenzied uh, uh, attack uh, the mother claims she's dead in a, in a not at all melodramatic way, um, <laughs> and uh, then it cuts to uh, later with them hiring Paddy Considine to find their daughter slash sister. And uh, what it kind of the, the structure of this is, it kind of um, tries to create smoke and mirrors to let you not quite know what's going on uh, at any given point. So when Constantine comes in, you're not sure if. Um, they're trying to get him to find it. You're not, it's not entirely certain if it's before or afterwards, uh, before they've actually got her, because she the, uh, at the beginning of the film she just comes in after a night out. Yeah. And um, I I don't think that the um, uh, structure of it uh, I think it just um, takes the mick of it because so for example, Paddy's um, uh, she's been this girl's been um, having an affair with a Punjabi bloke, and so um, this is just the worst thing ever, and she needs to die. Um. And, um, which is ugh, rather underwhelming in and of itself because it just is. I mean, uh, yeah, but this, these things, kind of things do happen, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. Sadly. They do. Mm. So Paddy goes and, like, um, Paddy's playing a racist, um, a neo-fascist, um, uh, which is, again, that's, that's been overdone with the, with the sort of hitman slash, uh, fixer. Uh, with with all um, with all the issues and because obviously this girl's Asian, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so when, when he goes and finds the bloke that she's um, been seeing, he says, "Oh, don't well, well, don't don't you know about the brother?" And then of course it turns out the brother's a cop. So it's just, it just it just tries to it, it tries to have these like, big reveals and it's like, oh, okay, fine. So he's a cop. So what? Mm. Um, and um, so then it sort of cuts in it, the way it is. He meets him in the pool pool room and he sort of says. Uh, you don't know about him, and so it, then it cuts back, and so it's as if it's presented as if this is what the guy is telling Paddy Considine. And by the end of the flashback, it then cuts to Paddy Considine coming out of the pool hall. But it's had a load of stuff in there that that guy doesn't know at all and can't possibly know. So it's, so it's just cheating. Gi- yeah, it, it is cheating. It, it's it's giving you the information that it wants you to that the filmmakers want you to have. Oh, I don't pres- like that. But it's presenting it story-wise. It's it, it, it the story-wise. It doesn't happen that way. Oh, I don't know. So that. yeah. So I have problems with the structure mm. and, uh, uh, and the writing. Um. Uh, and then. What? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just it's just plot plot twist after twist to just try and it, and it's just continuously that sort of thing where it's trying to get you to think a certain way and then pull the rug out from underneath you. So like with the brother, you see him at the beginning. He's like a. Uh, he's offering his, he's offering his, offering his sister, and he's like, then he's trying to hire a bloke to try and find her, and then like, the, so then the boyfriend says, he doesn't need anyone, any help to find her. You don't know what he's doing with a cut to him in a police officer's outfit. 
outfit or what have you. So it's that, it's that sort of thing all the way through. Is it quite and TV detective-ish? Some... No, it, it's it's more... Um, it's not TV. It's more just films that you've seen before, higher budget films you've seen before, better written films you've seen before. I mean, Unforgiven's the classic example of the complete moralless guy yeah. who becomes the hero when put into that situation where he's got to... Uh, He's got to go and find find someone slash uh, help someone uh, in need. The Terminator. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, there's there's plenty of examples down yeah. the years, um, and um, so and so uh, so with that, I do think that um, Paddy Constein's character's arc is a bit too rushed to uh, towards the end because you know where it's going to go. You know, I mean, it's it shows him quite early on. Um, not being because he's basically the fixer for all these like um, <laughs> Bangladeshi people who want to go and kill their members of their own family. Um, uh, but uh, he has complete contempt for them. He's just doing it for the money, blah blah blah. But it does show that the, the last job that he had um, uh, it briefly like um, shows that he is uh, um, not coping well with what he did. So a pregnant woman um, uh, was killed. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. Blah 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 blah. But. When it still shows him being um, throughout, throughout after that's happened, when it still shows him like ha- having a go at people for having a spider's web on their uh, a tattoo on their uh, on them without actually having killed a uh, Kelly Riley again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and um, when when it shows him just be just like saying stuff like to um, an Asian, but oh, you all look the same to me, and all that sort of stuff, or just coming out, oh, coming out with overtly racist stuff. Then when he's got to soften later on you, you've shown him soften in terms of that he doesn't appreciate the job you haven't shown him soften in terms of his racism so it it doesn't really doesn't really convince uh on that side of things mm. uh, when it ne- goes where it necessarily has to in order to be a satisfying arc um the end um you know it's gonna ha- you know what's gonna happen with this sort of character being pushed in that sort of situation where it's all uh, you know, and it's i but that all that said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad film. I just think it's fundamentally by the numbers and average, and it does it does a lot of stuff it doesn't do particularly well. Okay. Mm. Sort of so on the filth level. Yeah, yeah. Without the level, it's it it doesn't have uh, anything the near energy filth. Yeah, or or the or the soundtrack or the performance level or or the, or the casting that filth has. But it doesn't have the negative, uh, overtly negative aspects of it. It just has the other thing. Oh, really? I've seen that before. Or, oh. Yeah, but it's not you, offensive. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is probably it's it's. I'm being not. I'd be nice and give it like five out of ten. Three low three stars. It's just about average because it is probably all in all balance. It probably is a very average um, example of the genre. Yeah, but you you could easily say it's subpar as well. So, I'll be nice and give it five out of ten because endless positivity that is me. <laughs> Every week. Mm. Well, after last week, <laughs> compared with you, Mister D plus. I know. Well, I've got. <laughs> hey, I'm doing well this week, <laughs> Mister D plus. <laughs> All right, film of the week. This yes. is tracks. Um, mm. Which I saw the world premiere of. Which you saw what? God, is it nine months ago? It was September. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so this is set in the mid-1970s. Um, it's about a young Australian woman called Robin Davidson, who is Mia Vazakowska, who uh, Robin decided to make a 1,700-mile journey across the deserts of Australia with three camels, a calf, and her dog. Um, the National Geographic magazine decides to sponsor her on her journey, and they send along a photographer called Rick, who's Adam Driver, to get shots of her at various stages on the journey. And things happen on the journey. She meets people, and yeah. Mm. And sunsets happen. Sunset. And sunrises happen, and uh, cinematographers win at life with films like this. And makeup makeup artists do well as well. Yeah. Mm. I thought that was very subtle. The cinematography is really nice. Um, it's a gorgeous film. It's Mia, a gorgeous film. Mia just um, the makeup on Mia, I think, is perfect. Actually, it's not too much. Um, it doesn't make her look good, but it you know. It, mm. It makes her look sun-kissed in the right ways. Um, and I think she's great, actually. Really great in this. It's she anchors it, it extremely well. It's a it's a difficult role, really, because it's kind of like that into the wild type thing where you've just basically got a character doing something inherently stupid. Yeah. But, yeah. but she, she doesn't have... She doesn't bring an obnoxiousness to the character, which could be there. Otherwise. I mean, she's not she's not likable, but she's not supposed to be likable. No, I mean she's. It's sort of like it is kind of an into the wild situation where she wants to get away from humanity, but I like that in this she doesn't, like she herself doesn't seem to know why. Mm. And it's different from how she is in in treatment, um, or in Jane Eyre, for instance. Um, she can be quite churlish in this, but she she seems restless, and you you can kind of you can see why she might have gotten to this position. Uh, without you don't need the flashbacks, by the way. Mm. That was that's a negative. Um, and then when she's called upon to d- deliver the emotion, she really, really does. Like with the whole dog, which I can't even. Mm. I was just like bawling my eyes out <laughs> in there. God. Me and a lot of old women. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no, uh, what you, um, I, what I think works um, with the performance and um, uh, the character is that there's clearly, in order to do something like that, there is an intense, it's got to be an intense vulnerability uh, lurking. Because it's it's clearly because the desire to escape from everything, there was such an overpowering desire to to escape to that extent from everything. Uh, there's got to be some vulnerability there. Yeah. It, you can't you can't just have a beat a hard hard nosed. I'm doing this because I'm I just want to do it because that then you would get into into the wild territory where you just think well why and so and she, even though she doesn't want people's help she does actually take it when she needs it. Yeah, yeah. Be it from the um, Abor- um, Aboriginals or the uh, the water drops or what or anything like that. I really liked the old Aboriginal guy. Mm. No, he was good. Mm. It's a it was a it was a boost in the it was a shot in the arm for the film because um, 
it take it brings a different dynamic to it. Yeah, and it yeah. and it and it, it, it stands on the shoulders of some of the characterization from earlier and takes it somewhere else and shows her in a far more receptive uh, light. This is kind of what she wanted. You can tell this is the sort of thing she wanted from it to begin with, even to though learn she might things. Have, yeah, mm-hmm. and she might have wanted to be on her own. Um, but then when presented with them, um, and I do like, I do kind of like how relationship with the guy in that um, you kind of would <laughs> I think yeah I, the, the dynamic f- feels real to me like the, I mean the whole yeah th- how close the lack are. of interest yeah the lack of interest at the beginning but then we're, we're, when push comes to shove with with what's happening in lo- and the level of loneliness and uh, that is that being the option yeah and it's a bit obvious at the beginning because I don't see why she saw anti him at the beginning that I think she's just anti life because I mean that's why she's it's got to be why she's uh, doing something like this to begin with yeah stuff's gone down and I like that they don't try and really ram it home too much there are some negatives um I think it takes a while to get going I kind mm. of was just wishing they just get on with it mm. um and I think the things are quite kind of skated over at the beginning where how she kind of happens upon this camel farm and then logistics yeah and then the guy who lets her down what happens there feels very vague Mm. with his wife and it's a bit out the blue i don't really understand why that had to be in there Mm. i I don't know i mean i I don't know the story obviously of what actually happened to us some of it must be true but well i bought the book (laughs) oh did you what afterwards yeah i haven't read it all of it i've read some of it i've read the beginning of it i've read that bit basically so that did happen she she didn't she she did go to the german guy and he did rip her off and then she ended up going to um the uh uh uh, other one instead who actually gave her a fair deal i think it's just basically showing how um the de- uh, the desperation of the character that she wanted to do this and she, even though she kind of knew she was being taken for a ride she was willing to go along with it um, to a certain degree yeah because she this is just something she felt she needed to do and, it's, wanted to, and yeah. it, it is like the fact that she wrote into the magazine as well shows that she did she isn't unwilling you know to accept things from other people as well mm. I think that's a key part of the character actually mm. Um, what do you think of the end? The end, I, I thought it was well. It was really beautiful. Mm. Um, it's a little bit <clears throat> underwhelming, maybe, a tad, mm. just because the thing with the dog had happened, and right. I, I, maybe I wanted more of a resolution, but I was kind of, I was happy, you know. It's a happy end. I I think when with the. Uh... When it gets all dark in the desert, let's just put it that way. I think that's where the tone, the one time the film loses control of the tone and uh, it tries to go in artful directions to put yourself in the character situation. But I'm not sure it is entirely successful in terms of uh, creating a balanced film and journey. What, you mean the uh, mirage thing? Yeah, well, with, 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 leading up the whole, leading it to the dog thing, basically, that sort of like, Dark nights, yeah. Dark night of the soul type thing. Um, it was scary but, though. It was. I was. Yeah. But you mm. could tell what's going to happen. And I was sort of like, 
I mean, it. <laughs> this is going to sound really preachy, but was it not a bit selfish to take the dog in the first place? <laughs> yes, pretty much, yeah. But then again, I think she probably knew she'd need some companionship outside of uh, uh, hump based creatures. True. And by that I mean the camels and not the laddies, the photographer. <laughs> oh, the, I want to talk about how the animals are so good in this, like, because they get them to do things at certain times that are important to the scene. Mm. Well, I think that was part of the um, uh, be- beginnings of the book that I read, that she was saying how these uh, characters, uh, animals do have characters and personalities, very specific ones. So I think they're trying to... Um, get that across um, with her as, yeah. uh, as as well as with it with the general where they're going with the scene, certain scenes and plots um, what was I going to say um, yeah uh, I uh, I like the end um, but you know it's coming <laughs> yeah I mean, and by the end I mean the actual the scene not the um, photographs because you know the photographs are coming as well um, but I do think it works and um, it's just uh, it's kind of like the opposite of Under the Sand where you've just got Charlotte Rampling just completely destroyed on a beach mentally drained yeah. gone yeah. <laughs> it's like the opposite <laughs> yeah, yeah it is yeah, yeah it is. Do, are we thinking that... second Charlotte Rampling mentioned the podcast <laughs> you would think I planned this stuff Charlotte Rampling, Tony Leung, Chelsea, Marvin and Paul. Just all I have to do now is mention one car away. Oh wait, I just did. You mentioned Happy Together. Oh yeah, that's true. And in the mood for love. Um, <laughs> what is this? Mia's real accent? Are we thinking of? Yeah. 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 I would have thought so. Mm. Cool. All right. Uh, grade. I know what your grade is. Seven, yeah. And mine is a B, which is mm-hmm. on that level. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Shag, Marry, Kill. Yeah, um, right, so I would... Shag as in watch game right now. Uh off, because I want to see how it finishes. Mm-hmm. I would kill... on. Mar- I'd marry tracks because that would be an easy one, because it's a nice, beautiful watch. Yeah. Treat, treat for the eyes every week for the rest of my life, and I'd kill on it because it's an honour killing. <laughs> A garroting. Mm. Um, I would shag tracks. Uh, sorry, no. I would marry tracks, shag um, a thousand times goodnight, and kill Blue Ruin, um, even though it's not bad. It was the worst of this week. Better week mm-hmm. for me this week. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't, be d- shouldn't be hard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Watson Factor. Mm. Um... Binoche, um age has got the better. Oh, uh, but we but we could say so we kind of we could be we could be kind of say Hathaway. We could we could either say do or Hathaway. So uh, I think uh, I think the hair's just about long enough for her. So I'll go with say do because they do put her in like a some dodgy stuff. Um, honor. Uh, the main girl um, should be a yes uh, in uh, all things considered but they make her look pretty shoddy so it's a say do <laughs> okay and it's an obvious say do for um, Mia 
in tracks because uh, they don't make it look great. Yeah. So it's uh, Watson Factor One. Okay. I haven't. Okay, I haven't considered this. Yeah, um, yeah I clearly haven't thought about it. Okay, guy in tracks. I take it Geek Chic is not going to beat Melville. De- Geek Chic is gone. No. Yeah. Um, a thousand times good night. The husband is quite nice, but no. I'd say say do. Usually he would. Uh, I would. Okay, I'll say do. Yeah, I'll say mm. do. Yeah. Um, Blue Ruin and the main guys of no, and there's nobody mm. in it of worth. Mm. <laughs> 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 of sexual worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That sounded so harsh. I know. <laughs> um. <laughs> And yeah, that's it. So it's a one point ones all round. Easy week. Yes. Okay. So next week, options are we have Bad Neighbours, which uh, stars your favourite Zac Efron, mm. and my non-favourite Seth Rogen. And who's the wife? Rose Byrne. There we go. Two against one. <laughs> <laughs> we have The Wind Rises. Oh, is that finally out? It's finally out. Uh, we have Arnold Schwarzenegger in Sabotage. Oh. Michael Fassbender in Frank. Ooh. And next week, there is officially released a film called Before the Winter Chill, which stars Daniel Ortoil oh and Kristen Scott Thomas. Not for the first time. Yes. But I'm guessing that you will get that later so we can save that. Later no. in the month. Uh, in which case, I can um, just tack on another red light district and pimp a film called The Closet. Which, no, not The Closet. The Closet is a Daniel Latour film. Does it's it also star um, John Travolta? No, <laughs> it's a. The thing is, there are a series of films which are which are pinion films, which basically it's a film. They're all comedies. The Dinner Game uh, is probably the most famous one. Yeah. We made his uh, dinner for schmucks horrendously. Mm. Uh, and they all star the same character and they're, they're played by different people. So Ortoil plays Pignon in uh, The Closet, but then in The Valet, uh, Ortoil, uh, uh, Gad Elmerle plays Pignon and uh, he, uh, Ortoil plays the uh, git who is married to Kristen Scott Thomas. He is shagging a supermodel and whilst walking, uh, whilst uh, taking her out down the street, uh, a photograph is taken by Preparazzo of Otto with his ridiculously uh, gorgeous supermodel type girlfriend played by Alice Taglioni who is a friend of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> you wish <laughs> yeah so while this so, yeah so while this picture's been taken Gad Elmley's in the background he's a valet at a local um, uh, hotel and so uh, Otto because he's in full denial mode with Christian Scott Thomas tracks down the valet and pays him uh, uh for um, uh, Alex Tagliani to move into his house to pretend that they're having the affair so he can deny that this picture is actually about him. And it's absolutely all tons of fun and um, very, very worthwhile watch. Just if you, if you, he's, uh, Weber is probably my favourite comedy director uh, in the world. And, uh, he, he always makes good stuff. Good stuff. This this one's from Philippe Claudel, who did I've Loved yes. You So Long, which is not yeah. fun. <laughs> no. And Tout Le Soleil. Yeah. Which I've, not, I've never seen. No, I didn't get around to that one. Mm. 
cool. All right, so we'll cl club together some stuff for next week. Do you have a jam? Um, Is there anything you've been teaching your kids? Oh, what was I teaching the kids? Oh, I've been teaching the kids the cranberries. What, zombie? Yes. <laughs> God. I've been teaching in two, well, two songs because the, the, the mother, um, that and dreams, which gets, which here's another oh, here one. We go. <laughs> Can we, are we ending on Fei Wong? Fei Wong. Fei Wong's, Fei Wong's version of dreams, <laughs> which was in Chunky Express. Now, uh, okay, final digression. You can say you can keep on interrupting by saying what we have is in uh, iTunes and blogs and what have you. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, we yeah. have a website. It's movepodcast dot com. Yeah, can... and so while I, while he, while we have a website, I I first uh, saw a one car wife film. <laughs> no, finish it off, go. We're on iTunes. Uh, we're on Facebook in the Move Podcast. Twitter at Move Podcast. You can ask the story questions. of me and Wong is how, how did you guys meet me? Thank you.